Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. I felt overwhelmed. All I could think about was how we're the top eighth graders in the state. In just a bit, we'll hear from those girls. Now, they're state chess champs. They attend St. Ethelreda School in the Auburn-Gresham neighborhood on Chicago's south side. But first, three years ago, Chicago saw a record number of shootings in 2016. More than 4,000 people shot, more than 750 killed. That was the most the city had seen in two decades. Well, Chicago ended 2019 on a more hopeful note. Preliminary numbers show a steep drop in shootings and homicides. WBEZ reporter Patrick Smith has been following the stats and updates us on the new numbers and puts it all in perspective. So there were 492 people murdered in Chicago. So we talk about progress, but still almost 500 people murdered. There were 2,600 shooting victims and about 2,100 shooting incidents. So that, you know, there are incidents where more than one person is shot. So 2,600 people shot, 490 people murdered. Both of those numbers, though, are, are better than than last year. Well, and put that in context for us when we look at the past few years, 2018, 2017, and then, of course, that big jump in 2016. Right, exactly. So 2016, we had this historic increase. Since then, we've been coming down to this year's numbers. It's about 10, the shootings are down about 10% compared to last year. They're down about 35% compared to 2016. So we are, uh, we're, we're, we're just about back to where we were before that 2016 spike in violence. So that's the macro uh, level. But when we look at the neighborhood level and and where we're seeing significant changes, what can you tell us about that? Well, you're going to hear me say this a lot, which is like comparing things to 2016 Mm -hmm. and, and looking at that, because where we're seeing the biggest decrease is on the west side of Chicago, like uh, the Austin Police District, which covers most of the neighborhood of Austin on, on the west side, that had an almost 20 percent reduction uh, in murders last year for 2019. The other west side neighborhoods, west side areas had, you know, 13, 15 percent reductions in shootings. The west side is what got hit the hardest in 2016. It's where the violence was the worst in 2016. And for the first couple of years after that, 2017, 2018, even there was some sort of stubborn violence levels were still remarkably high in some of those areas. So we, we saw the biggest reduction on the west side. There are parts of the south side that also had reductions. Most of the south side and the north side had reductions in violence, although there are a few neighborhoods that are still suffering. You know, Well, not just all. There are many neighborhoods in the city that are suffering from violence still, but most of the city saw, saw a reduction in shootings this year. Charlie Back, the interim superintendent of CPD, held a New Year's Eve press conference releasing the numbers. And here's what he had to say about why he thought this was happening. Some of the things that have allowed us to, to make these reductions, uh, I I've talked about, uh, particularly our partnerships with faith-based community and our partnerships with street outreach workers and our partnerships with, with community-based organizations. Those are really important, but also technology has aided Chicago PD. 
Okay, so he's talking about partnerships and technology, starting with the partnerships. What do we know about how CPD is approaching community in, in these shootings? Well, one thing we know is that, that this year, uh, you know, actually Mayor Emanuel created it, but then now Mayor Lori Lightfoot invested more in the city's Office of Gun Violence Prevention. People are calling for her to do to invest a lot more money than, than what she has to sort of get us on par with New York and Los Angeles. But that's this office that's supposed to give a, a comprehensive approach to gun violence prevention, so it's not just about policing. You know, there was a lot of philanthropic dollars that went into gang outreach, street outreach after 2016. And we actually heard, you know, I, I heard from Eddie Bocanegra, who works for Heartland and runs this outreach program called Ready Chicago that that works with people who are closest to gun violence. He gave a lot of credit to to former Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson, who said that he really worked really closely with street outreach workers, that there were district-level commanders who worked with them and, and coordinated with them, and that it wasn't all you know, police and law and order first. Obviously, the police are there to, to maintain law and order, but that they knew that there were better and maybe other ways to approach gun violence besides just, just you know, going as hard as you could at people. When you say street outreach, what does that actually mean? So that that's a really good question. So there are kind of different versions of that. The sort of, um, the version that maybe people are most familiar with is something like ceasefire or what's called cure violence now, where you have people who are former gang members, people who are close to gang members who go out and just mediate conflicts and try to prevent people from shooting shooting at one another. Eddie Bocanegra, who I just mentioned, he used to do that. What he, he says what they're doing now, and there are a few different organizations that are doing this, you're not just outreaching to say, hey, don't shoot each other. You're saying, don't shoot each other, and we'd like to give you a job, or we'd like to get you some therapy, or we'd like to give you something. We're not just saying, don't shoot. We're saying, here's an alternative. And so there has been more investment in that from from the private sector, from philanthropic groups in the last few years. What's really been, people have been pushing for is for the city to start investing more and paying for that to happen, so that you can give give people an, an outlet and an alternative to to you know vi- a violent crime. So we heard the interim superintendent there also talk about technology. What role is that playing? Yeah, so that's something like uh, the police in the last few years have put something in called Shot Spotter, which is supposed to use sound to detect when there's been a shooting, so they don't have to wait for nine one one calls, so police can respond more quickly to them. Um, there's also they've got more cameras that they've got these. Um, strategic support centers in the districts that's supposed to combine all of the different technological options they have to sort of make response quicker and get more street-level information to the police. You know, that's something that the University of Chicago really helped pilot. They've done research. It it is their program, but they've done research on their own program to say that they they saw reductions in the districts where they put that technology in there. Um, Beyond that, you know, we have more police officers than we did a few years ago. There was this push to add a 1,000 more police officers under Mayor Emanuel. That happened. Um, And then I I think one thing that Charlie Beck is not going to talk about is just regression to the mean. Statistically, we had this huge spike, horrific spike in 2016. You know, a a statistician might tell you that we're just sort of coming back to normal. I think the big question is going to be, are these reductions things where we can keep making progress and actually get back? get back to a better place, get better than we were before 2016, rather than just sort of getting back to what is honestly an unacceptable level of violence. 500 murders a year, no one's going to tell you that that's okay. So we're, we're, we're back down to about 500. The question is, can we take that next step, step and actually see real reductions and not just get back to where we were before 2016. Well, and put these numbers into context when we look at other big cities like New York or L.A. Well, New York had a, a slight increase in its murders this year. Um, L.A., I believe, stayed about flat. We still have a lot more 
murders here in Chicago than New York and Los Angeles. It used to be that we had more murders than New York and L.A. combined. That's not exactly true. That's not quite true this year. However, they had, uh, if you put them together, they're at about 550 murders for this year. They have millions and millions more people in New York and Los Angeles. So as far as murder rate, we're nowhere near them. We had about, you know, we had about 50 fewer murders in Chicago than if you put New York and Los Angeles together. So these are just preliminary numbers. We should say uh, the official figures will come out after the FBI does their audit. How much of a change could we see between the numbers that are being reported right now by CPD and the numbers that come from the FBI? Not a huge change. Uh, For murders, for instance, you know, I think in 2017, the change was about seven murders from from when they preliminary numbers to what they actually sent to the FBI. So you'll see that change. I mean, sadly, that that some of that has to do with a person who shot on December 30th and then dies a few days later. And, and that changes from a, shoot, a shooting incident to a murder. Obviously, all of this is very tragic. So you'll see some changes in the numbers, but nothing that's going to throw off these percentages or the big picture takeaways. Well, in a press conference earlier this week, um, interim Chicago Police Superintendent Charlie Beck, and we have to stress here that he is interim. He's made very clear that he's not interested in the permanent job, but he laid out what he hopes to achieve while he is in office. What did he say? Well, one thing that I thought was really interesting, he spent a lot of time talking about clearance rates. You know, this is how detectives do solving murders. And he he said that the, the CPD had a 53% clearance rate this year. That's the highest it's been in nine years. You should look at WBEZ's Chip Mitchell's reporting to, to see sort of diving into those numbers more, not not this year, but in the past of how they calculate those clearance rates. I won't get into it, but it doesn't mean that they solved half of the murders that happened this year. Either way, it's great if they're at a nine-year high. There was a report that came out earlier this year that really criticized the the detective division, the homicide detective division in Chicago. Charlie Beck said he's going to be implementing things that were recommended there. I think that that's a big priority for him for his time here is is getting our detectives to get to a better solve rate, solving more murders, which increases trust in the depart in in the department among residents and hopefully prevents, you know, future violence. Well, and we have to again remind people that CBD is operating under a consent decree right now. Um, Charlie Beck led the LAPD the, through its own consent decree, at least part of it. How much power will he have to maybe implement some of the changes that are recommended in that decree? Well, I think he has a lot of power of making it clear whether or not it's a priority. And I want to be clear that, that what I've heard from people is that Eddie Johnson, the former superintendent, this was a priority for him, too. People did believe that he truly believed in the changes. But there also were problems where they said there's not enough resources going to this. Not everyone in the department is totally buying in. I think Charlie Beck, with the experience that he has, might know what resources are needed to, to get you know, a higher level of compliance with the consent decree and make that a priority. I certainly heard from people who were hopeful about him as interim because of his experience in Los Angeles, as you mentioned, that he'll make consent decree compliance a real priority of his interim administration. And really quickly, any word on the search for a permanent superintendent for CPD? I have not heard any word. I mean, the uh, the applications, I believe, are due by the end of this week, maybe next week. I, I expect that the police board will have its recommendations by March or April. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Patrick, thanks. Thanks. Our next guests, Shakira Luster, Trishel Williams, and Imani Hill, are state champions in chess. The eighth graders hail from St. Ethelreda, a small Catholic school in Chicago's Auburn-Gresham neighborhood. After their state win in November, the school threw a massive celebration for them, complete with crowns for the winners. The girls then went on to play seventh in the national tournament for their age bracket. They met with Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and they join us now along with their coach, Eric Luster. Welcome to Reset. Hi. 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 
Bye. Well, first of all, Coach, I want to know how you feel having coached these young ladies to the championships. I'm at a loss for words. I am so proud of them. They have uh, done a magnificent job, and I'm very, very proud of them. Now, I should mention you're also Shakira's dad. I am. (laughs) On top of being chess coach, you're also the 7th and 8th grade math teacher at St. Ethelreda. Did you expect this win? No, I didn't expect them to come in first at the state. Um, I was hoping for it, but I didn't expect that, so I'm, I'm very happy for them. So for state, each of you ranked in the top 10 slot. Shakira, you took third. Trishel, you took fourth, and Imani, you took 10th, and collectively this made your team number one. I want to know how you felt when you realized your team had landed in that number one slot. Trishel, I'll come to you first. I felt overwhelmed. All I could think about was how we're the top eighth graders in the state. Shakira, what about you? Oh, I was excited that we came in first and thrilled. Imani? I was ecstatic, but I also sort of thought of it as another just normal tournament. I wasn't really thinking statewide. I was just thinking, okay, it's just another first place team trophy. And now we had a little time to sit with it. Yeah, it's a lot different. (laughs) Eric, put this win into context for us. How many people were competing at the state level? Yeah, so they had about, I would say, about 500 participants. Again, this state tournament is from kindergarten through 12th grade. And their 8th grade section is where they came in first. And who are they competing against? Other 8th graders in the state of Illinois, yeah. So you just got back from the national competition in yes, Florida. Um, your team, which just includes your three here, ranked seventh overall, which is incredible Yes. on a national level. So congratulations for that. What is working for this team? I think um, the persistence. You know, we talk about perseverance all the time in our math class. It's one of the um, standards for mathematical practice, actually. And I will use that as well in chess to persevere, to never give up. Um, you're never going to win every game. You're not going to always be in great positions, but you got to keep going regardless of this situation. Look at it, think about it, dissect, and then try to move forward. So, Shakira, you're 13. Yes. Uh, Trishel and Imani, you're both 14 years old. Yes. When you go to the state competition or to the national competition, are there other girls, a lot of other girls who are playing? Not often. Um, we mostly see ourselves as sorry to say, like the only African-American girls there. As far as other girls, we could say there's about five maybe that we normally see. And those are the girls we normally see on a daily basis at our regular tournaments here in Chicago. And how do other players react? Do you think you might get underestimated sometimes, Rochelle? Yes, because typically when people look at chess, they see male grandmasters and male chess players. But, you know, now there are girls joining the forces. (laughs) And, Shakira, I just want you to talk a little bit about what it's like to compete. What's in your mind, how you're approaching a game. Tell us about that. Well, first, you have to, like, be quiet during the game. You can, like, get up and walk out your seat and sometimes look at other player games. And, like, at big tournaments, big, big tournaments, spectators will not be allowed to go in a room. And you can just, like, walk around and look at the games. And how do you maintain your focus, Imani, when you're playing a match? Well, our coach set us up with three rules to castle 
to fight for the center and develop your pieces. So when I forget or when I'm starting to walk around the room because my opponent is typically taking a while to think about their next move, I just remind myself of those three rules and I play and analyze the situation again. And for you, uh, Trishelle, is there a moment in the match when you know you won? Yes. And what is that like for you? It's nice, especially if the person is higher rated. (laughs) So you feel like you really, really got to win. Yes. Coach Luster, talk about just the process of teaching chess and some of the additional benefits that come along with learning this game. So, you know, the process of teaching chess is just like anything else in the sense that it takes a lot of practice. And the more you practice at anything, the better you get at it. Uh, The benefits happen to be the analytical thinking that goes into it. Uh, You you hope that one, as they get better at chess, they learn to make better life decisions. You know, oftentimes in this society, you you think it's egocentric kind of dominated. You know, you're me, 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 what can I get out of it? But the chess, you really have to think about what your opponent is thinking. That's actually how you become a successful chess player. You have to analyze the position. You have a plan, but you got to think about what is your opponent's plan. And that's kind of, you know, when you're looking at life situations, when you do that kind of thing, say, hey, you know, how will this situation affect me and others? I think that makes you a better person in general when you're dealing with uh, people in life and situations in life. Imani, what do you get out of playing chess? What's in it for you beyond winning a match or winning a championship? Well, as you may have mentioned, chess does help with math, test scores, and it helps you with your critical thinking. It can also help you with your life situations, knowing what to do and how to pick the right decision. And that can help me for sure during high school, of course. Um, I need those grades to stay <laughs> stay up there. But also just knowing when to pick your battles um, and what choice you should do. Pick the right one, of course. Shakira, what about for you? Like Imani stated, chess helps with math, and I really think it improved my test scores overall. And for you, Trishel, what do you get out of playing chess? Like Imani and Shakira said, it does help with your math scores. (laughs) Yes, but what I also get out of chess is, I guess, life lessons. Like what? The life lessons that you could learn is all actions have consequences, And also think about something thoroughly before doing it. Mm -hmm. Coach Lester, tell us what this means for the school, for St. Ethel Rita. Yeah, so the students are excited. Um, The school is buzzing. The community has, not just the aldermen, but the people in the community have have come out. Many have come by to support us. And I think it's given the school a big boost um, in terms of the morale, not that the morale was down, but certainly just to be excited to galvanize behind the chess team as opposed to the track or the flag football or some of that because those are good there too. But everybody's really at a buzz talking chess, 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 and and they're really excited. And it's a fairly small school. It is. And you struggle with enrollment. Yeah, about 260 students now. Um, enrollment was a struggle at one point, and certainly this should be something that will help increase that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, I want to turn back to you girls because you talked about sometimes feeling like you're underestimated when you're competing. And I think for other young girls who are listening right now, maybe if they're not playing chess but they're trying something else and feeling underestimated, how do you overcome that feeling and push through um, to these incredible wins you've had? Imani? 
what I do is I remember where I came from. And that's from a family that always said you can do it and from a school that always told you you can do it. So those people who always say you can't do it, they're wrong. They just don't want to lose. Shakira, what about you? Well, I really don't pay much attention to um, what other people think at all. I feel like it's a waste of time just to bother listening to that. That's good advice. Trishelle, what about you for other girls who are listening and may be feeling intimidated or feeling like they're being underestimated, how do you overcome that feeling when you're competing? I also agree with Shakira. Like she said, you shouldn't pay attention to people who try to drag you down because that's their opinions are quite irrelevant. It's all about what you think and what you believe. And also just know that there are girls supporting you like us. You know, girls support girls. <laughs> Coach Lester, have there been many women chess masters? Oh, yeah, we've had women chess grandmasters, actually. The interesting thing is when you, uh, however, look to just America and we start talking about African-American participation in chess, we've only had one African-American grandmaster from America. His name is Maurice Ashley from New York. And we've never had a woman chess master, African-American from America, ever. So when you look at these young ladies and you look at the success they're experiencing, are you hoping that maybe this is the start of a new legacy? Oh, I am hoping, praying. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm hoping they can start a new legacy. And if it's not one of them, then maybe they'll aspire someone else to get that goal. Well, I want to turn to you ladies once again, just as we wrap up here for young people or parents who are listening who maybe look at chess and are a little intimidated by it, what would you say to them about learning this game? Trishelle? Like we mentioned before, it does help your test scores. And also, you should join parents, uh, girls, folks, no matter the gender or race or anything. You should just join, you know, get out there, try something you've never done before. Probably can make history. Shakira, what about you? My advice for other people is to play chess because you may not start off liking it like I did because I thought it was boring and, and lame. <laughs> but as the years went by, I started to like chess. So you should continue to play it because it also helps you with your math. So give it a little bit of time. Imani, I'll give you the last word here. In general, I believe we need more African-American girls to pl start playing chess, African-Americans in general. As we said before, we mostly saw people not of our race. I believe that chess can definitely do a lot of things, all sorts of things, and especially help you with the way you make decisions. That might stop a lot of crime, you know, choosing the right choice. Um, parents might like that. I would also suggest it, as they say, that helping you with your education. All right. So what's the next step here for the team, Coach? Well, the next step is back to the drawing board. We're practicing on a daily basis, and we're going to the Nationals now. Um, the next big one is in Ohio, and that's um, in April. So we're looking forward to that. There's a City of Chicago championship in February at McCormick Place. So we're, we're practicing daily, looking for some more wins. 
That was chess state champions Imani Hill, Shakira Luster, and Trichelle Williams, along with their coach Eric Luster, their eighth graders at St. Ethelreda School in Auburn Gresham on Chicago's South Side. And they just won the state championships and play seventh at the national level. Thanks again for talking with us and congratulations. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you. having us. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. It's been a little while. I've missed talking to you. So happy new year. And let's make a determination to tell your friends about the Reset podcast. We bring you great conversations about the news and people who make Chicago great. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.